The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the people, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to the tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he said to his son, to them, saying, They will respect my son. And when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He said to him, they said to him, he will put those wretcheds into a miserable death and lease the vineyard to the other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruit of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables. They realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. I'm delighted to be here. Grace Lutheran Church. I do hail from Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, and since we're in communion with one another, I feel very much at home. These lessons in the scripture today really sit right on the cornerstone, no pun intended, of a very huge issue that even affects us to this day. The parable of the vineyard where the tenants are very mean and kill the slaves who come to protect to collect the produce really speaks to us about who and what is holy and who and what is religious. Our, our message today, the very stumbling block which Jesus refers to that becomes the cornerstone has a lot to do about the rules and the laws. Even, even Paul in Philippians today talks about him, here he is, blameless, he's a Pharisee, he's from the son of Benjamin, the family of Benjamin. He has all the credentials, and he's a very righteous man. Why? Because he's followed all the rules. And he has this sense that he is absolutely blameless until he meets the Christed one on the road to Damascus. Then he learns and has a whole other life. That which he thought and took such pride in before was a loss to what he was going to gain, living a faithful life in the name of Jesus Christ. This is a huge issue even now. And then in Exodus, we hear about the, the um, it's really the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. 
But understand that the Ten Commandments, the first two are about how we treat God, how we are in relationship with image and with God. But the rest of them are about how we treat one another, how we are in community with one another. That's quite different than what Paul, as the Pharisee, Saul really, as the Pharisee, uh, was following. He was following the laws of purity what you eat and what you don't eat, when you do it and when you don't, all of these very specific laws of purity. And so that's very different. There's a big shift happening here historically, but of course, when you're in the middle of it, like we are right now, you can't see the forest through the trees. But there was a huge shift happening here. But this is actually an issue today because many of us, if we follow the laws and follow the rules and do everything just right, that's the way we think that we will become part of the kingdom. And Paul tells us very clearly this morning that it is not, is not the route. That is not the way. The way is to help and stand firmly in our faith. It's not about following all the rules. Of course it is in light of the Ten Commandments with respecting one another in our communities. But the righteousness that Paul is talking about comes from the external rules. I did this right, I did that right, I did that right, therefore I'm a good person. And it's a very superficial way of looking at the depth of the Christian faith. What Paul had was, is what William James, the philosopher, called a first-hand religious experience, a first-hand experience, a direct experience of God, a direct experience of the holy and the sacred, breaking out all of a sudden in his life, which blinded him for three days. That's very different than a second-hand religion. A second-hand religion, it's because our parents told us we should believe or our grandparents told us we should believe, and we pass it on down through our families. Not that that's wrong, but it doesn't have the depth we need now in the chaotic times that we live in. As pastor, canon pastor of Grace Cathedral, for many years, I sat with many a parishioner who was absolutely torn apart because they had done everything right. So why would their husband have cancer? Why would that happen? Well, of course, it does happen. It doesn't have a whole lot to do about God being mean or wrong or cruel. It has a whole lot to do about our faith and how we handle the difficult things that come to us. This is not an easy place to be living on this planet at this time in the human body. So how do we find this depth? How do we do the how of faith? How do we learn? How do we learn and deepen our own faith? How do we do that? Well, often we don't teach that. Uh, often we just say we should do this, but we don't say how to do it. I. Um, read an interesting email up in San Francisco. We kind of have an old irascible priest in, the, in our diocese who's always angry and always out there and always, and he made a statement about why he's a Christian and about because of the values and the laws and the, the, the sense of the community and helping the poor and the widowed and, and all. Very good reasons. But at the end, he's kind of sniping and hitting away at everything and says, eh, you know, we don't need this, we don't need centering prayer, we don't need labyrinths, we don't need... Jesus never told us, he says, Jesus never told us 
to deepen and nurture our spiritual lives. Excuse me? How do we remove the log from our eye? How do we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves? We are called as Christians to deepen our journey and our path, the path to God. But we don't have many tools for this, and this is why I'm here. We're dedicating a beautiful labyrinth today. Now, the labyrinth that we have here is called the Medieval 11th Circuit Labyrinth, which means, since it's not a maze, right, it goes around, the one path goes around 11 times, circuits. 11 circuit labyrinth. It's also called the Chart style labyrinth. It was put in the floor of Chart Cathedral in 1201, but found in a Christian manuscript in the 6th century, about this big, and then reflected again in another manuscript in the 9th century, and then by the 1200s, this was placed in the floor. It's 42 feet across. It would fit nicely in this, in this nave right here without the pews. And because the population in the Middle Ages was illiterate, no one read. Books were not something common like we have books on every pew here. That was not true. The way they taught people the Christian stories was to be able to have it, first of all, in the murals along the church, in the stories in the stained glass windows of the Good Samaritan and Mary Magdalene and all of the different stories to be able to teach people who couldn't read. Well, the labyrinth was placed in the floor of Shark Cathedral as a pathway, as a journey, as a metaphor for the journey to God. The path is narrow. It certainly isn't straight. It's in a very circuitous path that leads you to center. Well, what happens, because you're doing a spiritual exercise, and you know that. You know it because you cross a certain threshold and you're into the labyrinth that it, the, the mind is able to be able to be quiet enough because you know where you're going. It's not a maze. You know where you're going to center. The mind quiets enough for you to be able to truly pray, for you to be able to truly reflect on where you are in the journey of your life. We all are on a pilgrimage from birth to death, whether we know it or not. And how we welcome Christ into our hearts how we understand the teachings, how we deepen and nurture our own spiritual life is very important. When you're walking the labyrinth, your inner life can become transparent to you. You see the little irritations and the little judgments and all the little nooks and crannies that go on all the time, but we don't realize it until we take the time to be present with ourselves and to be present with God so we can see ourselves in the light of God. It's truly a gift, the labyrinth is, for this community, for the broader community. I know you're surrounded by, by houses and neighborhood here. It's truly a gift to be able to quiet the mind enough to have a choice over how you place your attention. The labyrinth is a path of prayer. It helps us develop our inner life, not externally just following the rules, but taking the rules into our heart and allowing ourselves to walk the journey with God. Truly a gift. Thank you so much for, for having a labyrinth here. 
this all emanated and does still emanate from Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, where a lot of people are finding that sense of finding a way after feeling very lost. So I invite you, I hope you'll use it sometime. You don't have to use it right away or whenever, um, but use it when your life is in chaos. Use it when you just got a phone call of someone dearly loved by you who's ill, or you've lost a job, where life seems chaotic. The labyrinth orders chaos. It opens that place within us that can receive the light of Christ. Amen.